0: Yes, that we have as many answers to that question as we have people in this room. Everyone would have a slightly different emphasis on what it means to follow Jesus. That's one of the reasons we have so many denominations in our world today. Everybody's deciding, well, this is more important than that. Everyone has an idea of what your calling and my calling should be about. And we talk about our, our nation, we talk about our leaders, politicians tell us every day what the critical issues of the day are. They tell us where our focus should be, whether it's education or climate change or immigration or drug abuse or terrorism, the list goes on. They all have an idea of what, we, of what they think, we think should be important. And two of the current presidential candidates have taken it upon themselves to tell Christians what their theology should be. I don't know whether to laugh or cry. And in Christianity today, there are lots of voices telling us what the gospel is and what it means to follow Jesus. A major emphasis today is that of prosperity gospel. It's been around for a long time, and it's wreaking havoc all over the globe. Follow Jesus and enjoy an abundance of wealth and material provisions and health and safety Another another theology says that if you have enough faith, you can receive any healing, you can receive wealth, you can receive any provision that your heart desires. It's all about you and what you want. Another teaches that following Jesus means experiencing all of his kingdom now. And the list goes on. There's no shortage, especially in these last days, of teachers who will offer their authority as to what it means for you to follow Jesus. There are yet other groups that are not shy about telling you what your calling should be, how you should follow Jesus. Last year, I was, in a, I was with a group of pastors, and there was a group within that group, if you follow what I'm saying, a group of pastors within that group who were focused on providing low-income housing. And they said that if we, they shamed on us if we didn't believe, if we didn't put all of our eggs in that basket for low-income housing. And they said if, if we're not, If we're not all about providing housing for the poor, then we don't don't understand the gospel. And worse yet, and somebody actually said this, God's judgment stands ready for us if we're not involved in housing. There's no shortage of opinions, no shortage of ideas on what it means to follow Christ. Yes, there are external voices trying to impose their ideas of following Christ in our lives. But the greatest tension just may come with our own voice, with our own hearts and minds. One of the greatest pastimes of us humans is that of creating God in our own image. We filter God's word, we filter his truth, we filter his leading, his prompting, through our own ideas of what he expects and what he's lenient on, what what is open for negotiation with him if that could be so. We all have filters through which we pass any teaching on God. Promptings by the Holy Spirit also go through those filters. Too often, we become the arbiters of what it means to follow Christ. If it's too difficult, if it's complicated, we decide that God must not be serious. He cannot be serious. It's too costly. We won't make the sacrifice. Anything that causes us to be uncomfortable or called out of our comfort zone has to be run through our filters first. We all joke about making deals with God. When Sandy and I decided to go out as missionaries, you've heard me talk about this, but when we decided to go out as missionaries, I determined that the, the one thing that would keep us from going as missionaries was, was sending our kids to boarding school. We'll never, ever do that. I told God, that's, the bar is too high won't send my kids to boarding school, but you know what happened. All three of our kids graduated from Black Forest Academy. My daughter and her husband are there today leading their spiritual emphasis week in Germany. You see, God didn't give a rip about my deal with him. Yeah, Amen. When we see others going through difficult trials, we tell God, well, I, I could never do that. It all makes for a good joke, but it's, it's not true. We all have our filters for what it means to follow Jesus. We all have our limits to following the call to discipleship. You see, there's an intersection in each of our hearts. In fact, it's not one intersection, but it's, it's many that appear as our days go by. It's the intersection of God's will, Christ's call to follow, and my own will, my own self. So whether we acknowledge it or not, when we peel back the layers of our heart, our thoughts, and our desires, we come to the intersection of God's desire and my desire. So our original question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ in our world today, that already betrays a problem in our thinking You see, the world's context may change, but the heart of man does not. The choices we confront may be different today, but the issues, they don't change. Our world may change. Our hearts don't change. Neither does God's Word. God's definition of our issues and His truth are just as true today as the day He gave the truths to the authors of Scripture. So over the next few weeks, we're going to turn our thoughts to the calling of Jesus to follow after him. We're going to look at his word, and we're going to refresh ourselves on what it means, what it looks like to follow Jesus. So to start our journey, we stop stop off at Mark chapter 8, And I'll just warn you, it's not easy. Mark chapter 8. This is a difficult place to start, but this is indeed the starting point. Jesus paints a vivid picture of what it means to follow him. And to our surprise, his invitation may just redefine discipleship in our preconceived notions of it. He might rattle our filters a little bit. So let's start down the road. Mark chapter 8 following Christ. Let me read verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This definition of the gospel, well, it's the heart of the gospel. Our salvation is free. His grace is, is not merited in any way, shape, or form His grace is unearned. His life is given to those who are dead in their sins. Our salvation is a gift, but discipleship, on the other hand, is an act of obedience. And I think we'll find out today as Jesus points us towards following him that it's a costly act of obedience. To follow Christ means to go where he goes. It means to join in his sufferings and to heed his leading above all else. So to understand this, we need to look at the context of this passage. So let me turn back, if you would. This isn't our text, but in order to understand what's happening, look at eight, chapter 8, verse 27. And you'll recognize this passage, this setting. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Just stop and think about that for a minute. Just just let that sink in for a minute. Peter began to rebuke the Lord of the universe. Peter said, um, I'm sorry, uh, verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus is in Gentile territory. He and his disciples are standing at the mouth of the Jordan River at a cliffside that was considered a sacred temple and a space, a sacred space to the God Pan, as well as a multitude of other deities. And when we were in Israel, um, we saw this place, and we, we stood at the base of this cliff with all of these 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 temples and carvings into the rock. In the midst of all these supposed deities carved into the rock and all these worship places in this cliff, Jesus asked who his disciples thought he was. And their conclusion was, you are the sent one of God. You are the Messiah. You're the son of man. They acknowledged him as Lord. They acknowledged him as God over all other gods. And following this confession, Jesus laid out the path of his own obedience. And I want you to catch this. Jesus went right into what's going to happen. This was his obedience to the Father. He would go to Jerusalem. He would be persecuted. He'd be murdered on the cross. And then he would rise from the dead in three days. So we know the story that Peter stepped in and demanded that Jesus not go down this road. No, no, no. God would never want that for you. This idea of God's will was preposterous to Peter. There's a filter. There's a filter. Jesus called the gathered crowd. I love this. It doesn't say this in the other narratives about this, but not only did he speak to the disciples, but all the, all the crowd that was gathered around. Remember, they're in Gentile territory, not any, probably no priests there or anything like that. It was all Gentile people, and he called them all around, and he, and he gave this teaching. He wanted them to come and hear what it means to follow after him. Peter had tried to subvert his perfect will and now Jesus would turn it back on Peter and the others. Jesus isn't calling us to go where he has not gone. He is not demanding something from us that that he wouldn't do or didn't do. We know that Jesus came to do the Father's will Everything he did was according to the Father's plan and purpose. The results of his ministry were the work of the Father and to the glory of the Father. Jesus never did, said, or went anywhere without first seeking the Father. You see, all of Jesus' life on earth was dedicated to the will, the plan, and the glory of the Father. Scripture tells us that he learned obedience through his suffering. The road of obedience or what we would call discipleship today meant the cross. Jesus doesn't call us where he hasn't gone before. So let's look at this idea of the call. What is the anatomy of the call to follow? What does it mean? What's, What's it look like? So to plumb the depths of this truth, let's just simply walk through the verse word by word or thought by thought. Just look at this. First he says, if anyone, if anyone, you see, Jesus called the crowd and he came, he invited them to come and join the disciples to hear this teaching. The call to follow Jesus is open to anyone who will come. But it's a decision. If anyone, if anyone, this is a decision that every person has to make. Every man, woman, and child has to make this decision about Jesus Christ. Will I follow or will I not? When the call of Jesus is, is extended, we confront that choice. Will I follow or will I, will I not? And he says, if anyone would come after me, come after me. This language is actually a play on words of what he said to Peter earlier. He said, get behind me, Satan. Come after me. Peter was chastising him. Jesus said to get behind me. And now he's saying to them, All who would come after me. The very thing that Peter was chastising the Lord for was now the basis of the disciples' obedience to Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus means to align ourselves behind him, to yield to his leadership, to yield to his lordship. It means that I'm not in control, but I'm choosing to go where he goes, where he leads. And then he goes on to say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. See, now we're, now we're diving down. Now we're coming to the, to the very, very bottom of this truth. We're getting to the crux of the matter. Don't miss the choice in this verse. If you would follow who? Me? Jesus Christ? Let him deny himself. Do you see that? The choice is clear. Jesus or yourself. That's the choice. You need to deny yourself. To follow Jesus means a clear choice between his leadership and my leadership, his purpose or my purpose, his desire or my desires. So what's the first step in following Jesus? Is to deny myself. I can't help but think of Adam and Eve in the garden, listening to the temptation as Satan stood before them, offering them the temptation to be like God. And staring at the fruit and wondering, oh, and how good this is. Look how shiny it is. Look how good it looks. From that moment on, when they took of the fruit that God told them not to partake of, from that moment on, mankind was set on a trajectory of self-centeredness, of looking out for ourselves. You see, the fall means selfishness. The call means denial of self, of selfless dependence on God. Galatians 2.20 says it like this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Quite literally, to deny ourselves means to say no to ourselves and yes to Christ. Our own ease or comfort comes behind our passion for Christ. It means that everything I decide to do or or that is based on self-will or self-seeking has to be put in submission to Jesus Christ. My temptations, my instincts, my desires to walk in ungodly things, Someone, some, one commentator said, our desire to touch the things that don't belong to God. It all has to be set aside for the sake of Jesus Christ. We no longer live for our own self. We live for the calling and the leading of Christ in all things. And then he says, deny himself, and take up his cross. It literally means to pick up the crossbeam and move towards the cross. It means to move, to engage in, to move towards the suffering of our Lord and Savior. Jesus had just described his own suffering on the cross, and now he was inviting himself, inviting them into it. He's inviting them to come to the cross. I don't think we we can understand that. I don't think we can understand the graphic image the cross would have been to the disciples that day. The graphic image the cross, the Roman cross, and and suffering and death on the cross would bring to the disciples' imagination. We can't comprehend it. And now Jesus is saying, pick up your cross and follow after me. I think we have a quote someplace. we'll go on i don't have it in my notes so when we get there wave to me john you see we we participate in his sufferings in philippians 3 the apostle paul longs to be like jesus it's a remarkable passage i i want to i long to be like jesus i long to walk in his righteousness to know his righteousness to know him but he also says part of knowing jesus is sharing in the sufferings of jesus to be like him in his death You see, Jesus tells us to take up our cross. So let's consider the cross. Let me just run through a few aspects of the cross that come to my mind as we think about picking up our cross and following after him. You see, the cross is not simply an instrument of death. The Romans designed it to produce lengthy suffering. So let's not sugarcoat this idea that Jesus is giving us here. Taking up our cross means moving towards the suffering. It means, as it did for Jesus, knowing that the plan and the purpose of his Father is greater than anything that the cross could offer. We also know from Scripture that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and suffering produces hope and glory. Comfort and ease are not part of following Jesus Christ. second idea about the cross, and that is it's designed to bring shame and humiliation. The Romans did all they could to make an example out of those who were being executed. They stripped people naked. They, they beat them senselessly, almost to the point of death. They hung them there for everyone to see as they walked down the roads. It was, a, it was shame and humiliation. Jesus would later say that anyone who is ashamed of him will not be acknowledged by him. You see, to pick up your cross means to deny yourself and to move intentionally into a world that doesn't know him. It means to acknowledge Jesus in the public square. It means to stand up for Jesus in whatever circumstance I find myself in, whatever conversation I find myself in, whatever circumstance I find myself in. It means I will stand up for Jesus. It means I will not be ashamed. Jesus said, if, if you acknowledge me, I will acknowledge you. I wonder if part of the problem that we find ourselves in as a nation isn't the fact that the church has not stood up. If the world, the church has not stood up and proclaimed the name of Jesus and his truth. Now, uh, that's not the right one. <laughs> Sorry. We'll come to that later. Listen, listen to this but whoever, um, take up his cross. I want you to stop here for a minute. Take up his or her cross. I want you to notice this. It's your cross. It's no one else's cross. You see, we love to compare our journeys and our trials to everyone else. They, they have it easier than I do. Boy, I hope I never have to go through what they had to go through. But see, God has a plan for each of us. It means the cross that we bear Will only have our name on it. The rich young ruler came to Jesus, and Jesus told him to go and sell everything he had and give it to the poor, and then to come and follow after him. You see, selling everything meant Jesus was getting right at that intersection between God's will and his will. And he's saying, This thing is right at the middle of that intersection, and you need to take care of it. He's not calling me to sell everything not calling you to sell everything. At least I don't think he is. But for the rich young ruler that day, the intersection in his heart was his material possessions. He said, go sell it. Get rid of it. And then come and follow after me. That was the, that was the cross that had his name on it. We each have a different place for that cost and for that decision. We each have our own intersection. And then there's another aspect of the cross that I think is important here, and that is everything screams against the cross. When Peter heard that Jesus would go to the cross, he passionately argued against it. When we stand at the intersection of the cross and ourselves, everything will fight against the decision to follow Jesus. You see, darkness doesn't like to come to the light. Wrong doesn't like to be exposed. Selfishness will stand its ground. Deception will draw your attention away from the truth. Desire will come up with a million excuses why you don't need to follow the cross or take up your cross. And your obstinance will fight every effort you make to follow after Jesus Christ. You see, everything will scream against following after Jesus and the cross. And We need to recognize that. and We need to stand against it. What a contrast all of this is to the easy believism that we see around us today. What a cost it is to follow Jesus compared to the prosperity gospel that promises a life of wealth and ease. Jesus could have made it easy to follow after him. We could have, we could have just prayed a prayer of salvation. We could have guaranteed our punched our ticket for heaven and then gone on our merry way. But Jesus doesn't do that. Salvation is a free gift by God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who died on the cross for us, that we might have free gift of grace and salvation. But if you want to follow after him, it's a costly, costly discipleship. He gave the image of the cross. He gave it as an ultimate image of the loss of self-control, the loss of autonomy, the loss of everything that I am, all gets put in submission to Jesus Christ. I don't have time to go into the cost of the call. But let me read it for you. Verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. I want you to note something here and study this. You can go home and study this on your own. But there are four fours in this passage. Jesus gives us the truth of what it means to follow after him in verse 34. And starting with verse 35, he says, For whoever would save his life. For what does it profit a man? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed. Each one of those is worthy of our study. Jesus is, is simply making the comparison Okay, if if, if the world is your goal, if you want to follow after the world, if you want to take yourself and follow after whatever the world has to offer, then listen to this. It's not worth it. As I have on the slide there, your life is greater than the world, and Jesus Christ is greater than your life. One of the things that stands out to me in this passage Is what? What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? So if you if you give everything you have to gain the world, you sell your soul to gain the world. You just throw everything in on it. At the the end of the day, and there's an eternal perspective to this. At the end of the day, when you stand before the Lord, what are you going to do to buy your soul back? And that's the idea. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough things. You don't have enough good works. You don't have any of that to buy your soul back. Jesus said, what's what's the profit in it for you? What is it? It's not worth it. Following after Christ is the eternal picture. I want to get to communion. Let me add a few thoughts, if I could, to wrap it up. A cross is not simply an inconvenience. And I think we go, we go sideways on this truth occasionally. We, we think a cross is just about any type of inconvenience. A cross is laying down of my life for the sake of Jesus. So a broken arm, a whiny child, a, a big car repair bill, or a noisy dog is not a cross to bear. A cross to bear comes in that moment, that place, that decision where I confront the choice to follow Jesus or to succumb to my own self-centered will, my wisdom, and my own contentment. Listen to this. If there isn't a great struggle between my calling and myself, it's not a cross to bear. We all have those intersections where God's will calls us, and our wills stand reluctant. It might be a fight with my spouse where I need to choose myself or the love of Christ, it might mean releasing my kids into the care of the Father when all, all in me wants to control their lives and their situation. It may mean fighting for contentment when all the world around me is, 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 is laden with materialism. It may mean quitting, an uncomfortable, quitting a comfortable job for the sake of following God into the unknown. You see, I don't know what your cross is. In fact, I should say crosses because we're told that they come daily. Pick up your cross daily and follow after me. But I know that we each have a cross to bear. I know that we each have an intersection that's there between God's will and my will. The other night, our missions team met together and talking about our missionary program here at Valley Free and our missionary family and And we closed in prayer, and I I remember praying that we would see here at Valley Free Church families standing right here, being commissioned to go into missions. We're praying that lots of families in our future would stand up here and say, I'll go. I'll go. But I want you to think about that for a minute. We're praying for that to happen. What has to happen for that to for that event to take place? Somebody has to hear the call of God. And you know that call of God is going to going to it's going to bug them like crazy until they finally pay attention and I'm speaking from experience. It's going to bug them like crazy until finally God gets their attention and they finally just can't can't say no to God anymore. And that call of God to go to place X wherever it is and to do whatever God's calling them to do to get out of their comfort zone is going to lead them right to that intersection in the depths of their heart where they have to choose, will I follow after God or will I, will I serve myself? And when I think about somebody who's going to stand up here and say, I'll go and I'll take my family with me and we'll follow the call of Christ. They're saying no to a prosperity, a prosperous future here in America. They're saying saying no to all the comforts of life that we have to offer here in America, and they're possibly going someplace else where they're giving up all those things. And then when they get there, they're 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 moving into things that are unknown and they don't know what's they don't have any friends, they don't know, they don't, don't have any network, they, they have very little to to go on, they don't even know where to buy food sometimes. And they're there. Because they said, yes, I will follow Jesus. But every day the cost is there. Every day the intersection is there. Every day the cross is there asking them, will you follow? Will you follow? And yet we pray. We pray that we would be brought to this place. And here's the the beauty of the gospel. Here it is. When you take that step of obedience, when they say yes... I will pick up that cross, and I will follow Jesus no matter where he, te- he leads me, no matter where, I, where he goes, I will go with him. I might do it with fear and trembling, but I'll go. And here's the beauty of the gospel, and on the other side of it is God's grace, is God's strength, is God's power, and we'll see God in amazing ways. It ne- God, I don't know if you saw this in the passage today or not, he never guaranteed a life of ease. But if you go into Mark chapter 9, verse 1, I don't have it open right now. Who has it open? What does it say? For there are some who are standing before me today who will not die before they see the kingdom of God come in power. Right? There's the gospel. Now, it doesn't, it's not referring to the second coming of Christ. I always get confused. Well, they did die, and Jesus didn't come back. What happened? No. They saw the gospel go out. They saw the gospel explode in Jerusalem. They saw, the, they saw the disciples, and even without the disciples, because they were too stubborn to leave sometimes, even without the disciples, the, the Holy Spirit escaped and went out into the known world. Went up to the city of Antioch and, and birthed a church up there, and the Holy Spirit was wild. You see, the disciples got to see the power of God at work. And when we say yes to Jesus, when we say yes I'll pick it up. Yes, I'll say no to myself, to my desires, to my passions, to my will. I say no to that, and I follow Christ. I will see the power of God at work. And that's the promise we have today. So that's the cost, that's the call, and that's the promise. Isn't that something today? So we're coming to the table. and Jesus, he gathered his disciples together on that last night. And there's a lot of things that are going on around that table, a lot of messages, a lot of, lot of significance to the table. But for today, I want us to know that Jesus is inviting us to come to the table to be with him.